good morning, friends. It is good to be with everyone this morning. Uh, welcome to West Bowl, especially if it's your first time with us, first time in a long time. Great to have you back. Uh, this is an exciting season for us as a church. As Nathan mentioned, uh, God is doing some incredible things, and we're grateful that you're a part of it this morning. I hope you had a great week. Students, how'd the first week of school go? <laughs> Tell us how you really feel, would you? I know it was quite the shock to the system Monday morning for our little one first day, and now it's a shock every morning. We have to wake up and, and go, but I hope that it, it started off well. I hope it gets better. It's like the bar is low, so maybe it will get better uh, over the course of time. Last week was an important week for us as a church. If you weren't with us, go back and listen to that sermon or go online. We've got a lot of new resources for you. Uh, Ryan mentioned and, and uh, made uh, a few announcements and reminders, but the power of one is kind of our ministry focus uh, for the foreseeable future here at West Bowls. This is just really a way for us as a church in a very united and simple and yet we think profound and strategic way to really tangibly live out the words that are up above us here. Uh, to more practically kind of put those things into motion. And so we are excited about what's going on. Uh, if you weren't here, go back, check it out. We forgot one in the bulletin. We have bless one as our seventh, so we'll make sure we put that in there. But we're asking you to do seven different things over the course of the next couple of weeks and months and maybe even year. And I know there was some confusion last week. If you were here, chances are I, I butchered something and made a mess of something, not the first or the last time that will happen from this pulpit. Uh, but let me see if I can't clarify a little bit what the power of one is all about. These are really just our marching orders as a church. This is how we're gonna pray about and talk about and assess and evaluate kind of our effectiveness and our mission and our goals as a church. Seven different things, seven different challenges, and they aren't meant to be taken or done one at a time and then moved on to the next. Some people thought, oh, well, we give one today and then next week we do the other one and then the, so on and so forth. No, we gotta do all seven at the same time, every week for the foreseeable future. That, that's kind of what the power of one is all about. So we, we know you'll probably add one or two as you go and start with a few and maybe go from there. But the goal is to challenge yourself and each and every week, beginning now and continuing over the long haul, to put into practice your faith. So give one. Give a dollar. And I can't wait. I've been waiting all week to brag about and brag to you guys about what happened last week. You didn't even know what I was going to say, but you gave $721 and, and a free kids meal at Chick-fil-A in the give one bins. So, I am so proud of you. So, Ryan and I were able to hand deliver $721 in a free Chick-fil-A kids meal. We'll, we'll give whatever is put in that thing. We gave it to a family in need right here in our church. And I cannot thank you enough from the bottom of my heart. And I know that they would want to thank you as well. And so, church, well done. Well done. Problem now, though, the pressure's on. We're looking for 722 in those bins, okay, and two Chick-fil-A meals this week. So if you've got more than one kid, they, they all can eat. But proud of you, super powerful, and that's just the beginning, right? That's the power of one. So we go to invite, we go to donate. Again, we're taking canned food for this next month, next couple of weeks. Uh, bless a family, serve this church, sign up in the ministry fair. Again, the power of one. We believe God doesn't need a lot to do a lot. We want you to be a part of that with us. So again, thanks for being here. Hope you can join us for the power of one. Uh, this morning, we're excited to begin a new sermon series, Sacred Letters. Let me pray for us as we jump in uh, to this talk. God, I thank you for this church, for their excitement, their enthusiasm, and just their presence. 
It's crazy. We probably all had a weird, crazy, chaotic week in one way or another. Maybe we've just been running from one thing to the next. Things at home have broken. Things at work have broken. Maybe our families are broken. And so we come now to sit and hear and receive something from you. Would you be faithful, as you always are, to give us what we need? In this moment, breathe into us as you did in Pentecost and change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Words, words, words. There is definitely not a shortage of words in our world, is there? Everyone has something to say, don't they? It could be books or blogs, Twitter or talk shows, posts or politicians. Everybody's got something to say. We are constantly inundated with words. Let me show you some crazy numbers that I stumbled across this week. There are over one million words in the English language. And if you've mastered and memorized all of them, well done. There are 14 new words every day. So you've got 14 new ones today. It's estimated that 130 million books have been published over the course of time using those 1 million words. As of Thursday, July 10th, there were 3.3 billion sites and pages on the internet. And some of you have seen every single one of them. (laughs) Every second, around 6,000 tweets are made. Go ahead and tweet that right now if you'd like. But let's let's take that out a few more numbers. Over 350,000 tweets per minute then, 500 million tweets a day, 200 billion tweets per year. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, find someone who looks very young sitting around you and ask them. But you see, everyone is talking, 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 and yet no one's really saying anything. Have you noticed that? After a while, all the words that are out there, whether they're at work or at school or at home or on the internet, they all begin to sound the same, don't they? They all begin to sound like Charlie Brown, the the, the adult words in Charlie Brown's cartoon, right? Wah, 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 wah. Most of the words we hear, we forget. Most of the words we read don't matter. Most of the words we say are easily discarded by others. But that cannot be said for the words of Christ. There is something fundamentally different about his words. His words, sometimes written for us in the pages of the Bible in red letters. They are different. They stand out from and against and above all other words. See, the words in red, no matter how hard we might try to ignore them or to push them aside, they just keep coming back. You can't get rid of them. You can't shake free. They keep ringing in our ears and resonating in our hearts. There's a reason that the red letter words are quoted and misquoted more than any other words in all of history. There's a reason that red letter words are spoken and recited and shared at hospitals, births, funeral homes, weddings, calamities, more than all other words combined. There's a reason that the red letter words bring more comfort and cause more conflict than all other words combined. There's something about red letter words. Unlike the 6,000 tweets per second, these words are not dead words. Unlike the 130 billion books or million books or whatever, these words cannot be forgotten, erased, deleted, or discarded. And that's because unlike all other words, these words bring life. Let me show you a couple passages. John 6, 63, Jesus himself says this about his words. The words I have spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. They're not dead. You can't forget them. You can't erase them. 
they bring life. Matthew 24, 35, Jesus says this, heaven and earth will pass away. Everything will be thrown out, forgotten, all of the English language, but my words will never pass away. Even though there are only 2,000 red letter words, those 2,000 words have the power to change things, don't they? Those 2,000 words have the power to shake things up now and forever. Out of the millions of words that are out there, out of the millions of books, the billions of websites, all of the tweets, it's the red letter words, isn't it? It's those red letter words. I just keep coming back to them. And I love that when he first said these things, people just were astonished. People just stood back and were flabbergasted at the man who was speaking these words. Let me show you a couple of examples. Luke, 40, beginning in, or Luke 4, beginning in verse 20. He closed the book. This is Jesus' first sermon ever. He gives it back to the music attendant, and he sits down. All of the eyes of the synagogue are fixed on him in this moment. And then he says, today, this sermon, this scripture is perfectly fulfilled in me and in your hearing and everyone marveled at the gracious words that came out of his mouth. Luke 4, 35 says this, Jesus rebuked the evil spirit, saying to the man who'd been tra uh, trapped and tortured for a while, be quiet and come out of him. When the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of the man and it did not hurt him. Everyone is amazed and spoke among themselves, listen to this, what a word is this? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And everybody starts tweeting, it says. <laughs> then Mark 1, 21, they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue, and he began to teach them. Listen to this. Everyone is astonished at what he has to say, because he taught them as one having authority, not like all your other teachers. Not like every teacher you had up until this point. There was something different about this teacher. There's something different about this rabbi. There's something different about his words. See, it's, it's not as if there was a shortage of words in the first century, as if the Jesus station were the only one on the channel. Like, well, I guess we've got to listen to Jesus. Scribes, professional orators, philosophers, rabbis, they would stand in the public square on street corners and they would just debate and talk and speak all the time. There were words, words, words. It wasn't tweets, but there were words aplenty. But as is the case now, everybody had something to say, but nobody was really saying anything. The first century, they were just as inundated with dead and drab words as we are. And then Jesus shows up. Wah, 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 wah. Love your enemies. Strip down naked if that's what it takes to change their heart. Wah, 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 wah. Power comes not in being superior to other people, but in serving other people. Want, 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 want. Those who follow me pledge an allegiance to an entirely different kingdom marked by love, humility, minimalism, and rest. Want, 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 want. The ways of Rome are not the ways of God. He wants your heart, not your money. Want, want, want. The detestable and downright in your society, the ones you cast aside, those are the ones God looks on with favor. See how his words just pierced all the dead words? 
And they still do the same thing today. They catch you off guard. They make you think. They make you question. They make you stop dead in your tracks. They stand in opposition to other words. They make sense of all other words at the same time. They open up new possibilities. They awaken our hearts and our minds. There's something about the red letter words. Isn't there? That's why I love what we read in John 6. Let me give you a little bit of context here. Jesus starts saying some crazy things. Like, you won't have life unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh. That's crazy. Okay, I don't care what century you live in. And people start saying, he's crazy. And because the teaching is so hard, because the words don't make sense right off the bat, a lot of people start walking away. This is what Jesus says in response to that. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the 12, to his closest friends, you want to go home too? And Simon answered him in this way, Lord, where are we going to go? To whom shall we go? You and you alone have the words of eternal life. Peter knew, yeah, the words are hard to hear. Yeah, the words are hard to make sense of. Yeah, the words don't go down easy, but your words are better words than everybody else's words. Your words are different words than everybody else's words. Your words, Jesus, bring life, so I'm in it with you till the end. What a statement. Those words bring life, and I hope that they've brought you life. And if they haven't, let's spend some time reading them together. Because you see, in the first century, they were astonished by his words. What is going on? I hated all my other teachers, but this guy, I want to stay after class. His words are incredible. And the same is happening today. I can remember the first time Rick Hankins at his dining room table opened up the red letter words for me. And I began to read them. And it's as if someone had a video recorder in my life, right? Wait, 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 wait. How do you know I struggle with this? How did Jesus know that's what I needed to hear right now? How, how come my life, my heart is beating? How come I'm breathing heavier right now after reading his words? The words had power when they were spoken, and now they have power when we read them. All oh, the red letter words. But I know that some of us are a bit skeptical of these words. I don't know, Thomas. I don't know about this. I'm not sure if I can trust these words, believe in these words. I'm not fully convinced I can base my life off of these words. So I want to close this morning by just quickly addressing some of those concerns. I don't necessarily want to talk about the validity of this book or how we got it or how we can trust it. Although if you want to have that conversation, let's chat. I'll let you buy me a cup of coffee. <laughs> but we can trust this book. But more than that, you can trust the man who spoke the word. That's what I want to talk with you uh, uh, just for a few minutes about this morning. I want to show you that you can trust, you can rely on, you can base your life off of Jesus' words because he did two things that no other person in all of eternity, past, present, or future, has ever or will ever be able to do. Jesus has credibility because he did two things that you can't do, that I can't do, that nobody else can do. First, he stood firm against Satan's attacks. And secondly, he died and then lived to talk about it. Let's unpack these real fast and we'll call it a morning. Jesus is the only one who's been able to stand firm against Satan's attacks. 
In Matthew chapter 4, we read that Jesus is about to begin his ministry, and as he does such, he is tempted by the devil. Three different times, the devil tries to get him to give in just a little bit, to question God, to rely on his own power, to usurp things and take things into his own hands. The first temptation comes. Remember what it was? Turn stones into bread. This is basically a temptation to uh, seek temporary satisfaction, to be controlled by your gut. I want it, I need it, I'll take it. It's to be controlled by your passions, by your desires. The second temptation comes around and Satan asks Jesus to jump off of the temple, more or less put himself in harm's way so that God can prove himself faithful to him, so that God can show up in a miraculous way. This is more or less a temptation to abuse power or to rely on the spectacular. Sensationalism is a word here to prove God's existence, to prove that you believe because you've seen something big, something crazy. Put a show on to show that you believe. And then the third temptation, Jesus is asked to bow down and worship Satan. In return, he will be given, supposedly, all the kingdoms of the world. The temptation here is to seek personal gain at any cost, to sell your soul for finite, fleeting things. Hopefully that makes sense to you. But here's the thing. These temptations are not unique. This is not the first time we've seen Satan come at somebody with these temptations. This is his old bag of tricks. This is all he's got. So the temptations are not unique because you see, Adam and Eve were tempted in this way and they gave in. Noah was tempted in this way and he gave in. Abraham tempted in this way and he gave in. Jacob, Moses, King Saul, David, you, me, the list goes on and on. We're all tempted in this way and what happens? We give in. Reminds me of a story. I had a friend who used to work for Albuquerque Curb Cutting. No one ever grows up wanting to be a curb cutter but he loved it and he did an awesome job. So one day he's pulling this huge saw. You have no idea what kind of saw it takes to cut a cement curb out of the way. So he's pulling, uh, he's got a big truck pulling this huge cement saw and he decides for some reason to pull off into like a sandy road. You can imagine what happens, the whole thing just sinks, right? The whole truck, the whole trailer, all the way down to the axles. So he's got to call a tow truck, he's got to call his boss, he's thoroughly embarrassed. Huge big rig pulls up next to him. The guy is just brawny, big, right, strong, kind of wearing a bro tank. And he goes over to my friend Jason and he says, brother, what possessed you? I think that same thing when I read about these temptations. When I give in to fleeting satisfaction, when I give in to putting on a show for God or to impress others, when I think about giving up important things for unimportant things, I wonder if God's not up there saying, brother, what, what possessed you to do that? See, all of us give in to these things. All of humanity throughout all of time have given in to these things, but not Jesus. Jesus didn't give in to these things. He does what others can't. He was willing to do what others wouldn't. He refused when we said yes. Temporary satisfaction, Jesus said no. Sensationalism, putting on a show, Jesus said no. Selfish gain, Jesus said no. When offered, he declined. When tempted, he stayed strong. When handed those things, he handed them back. And if you read the Bible, and if you take a good hard look at your own life, 
You and I don't typically take them back, do we? Or hand them back. We take them in. What possessed you, brother? I don't know. Uh, Oops. You see, the words in red matter. The words in red you can trust. You can base your life off of the words in red because they come from a man who has Satan in his grips, who says, I'm not tempted like you are. I don't fall for stupid tricks like you do. Satan doesn't get at me like he gets at you. So listen to me. You can trust me. I will trust a man who doesn't give in to those three things. I'll listen to his words. I'll follow him where he goes because, see, I give in to those three things. And so I need somebody who doesn't, who hasn't. I will follow him. I will listen to him. But it goes one step further than that. Not only did Jesus stand firm against evil and sin, he's the only person to die and yet live to talk about it. Think about it. There are a lot of people out there who have done incredible things throughout the course of human history. Are there not? At Pepperdine, to begin my speech class, I would always ask a question of the day. Important questions, you know, to to know someone's heart, to be deep in their soul. Like if you were an animal, what animal would you be? Question to tell you a lot about a person, right? If you were a circus performer, which one would you be? I mean, you can just tell so much about someone from the way they answer those questions. And one day I asked, if you could have lunch with anybody in all of human history, who would it be? And besides the girl that said Justin Bieber, I was pretty impressed with the answers that were given. It'd be amazing to sit with people who have accomplished incredible things, right? Who have overcome incredible odds. The list is on and on of men and women who have just done incredible things. But there was always one problem. There was always one thing that no man or woman could escape. One thing that no man or woman had the audacity to take on. One thing no man or woman had the audacity to talk about, let alone talk trash about. And that was death. Death is like the devil's trump card. It's as if he knows, yeah, 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 live a great life, live your life for God, do good for others, wonderful. You're still going to die. Doesn't that just stink? You've lived an amazing life, but it's finite. It will come to an end. He uses death as this kind of ace in the hole, if you would. It's his best punch, his best shot, his best pitch, and it works. It's worked throughout all of time. You can live a great life, have an amazing faith, do great things for God, but you are going to die. Death will always have the final say. The scripture says the wages of sin is death. It's like you could go to the end of the book and read ahead, you die. Ah, No, I want to read this book. You've heard the phrase before, the only things in life that are certain are death and taxes. Well, after Jesus, tax is about the only one that we can be sure of. You see, death now is totally different. It's not so certain anymore. Oh yeah, it's gonna happen, but what happens in it is totally different. No other religious leader in all of human history has had the audacity to to stare death in the face and say, hey, it's been real, it's been fun, but I'm out. Sorry, that was kind of ghetto. I don't know why I did that. (laughs) Colorado ghetto, I'm not LA ghetto. But think about it. People talk about reincarnation, second chances after death. They talk about what can happen to your spirit after you die and possible places where it will go. But no religious leader has said, I'm better than death. I will defeat death. It's a crazy claim that only Jesus has made. See, on multiple occasions, Jesus said, three days, I'll be dead. And then you're gonna see me alive again, alive and well. 
three days in the belly of the fish, three days I'll rebuild the temple, however you want to say it. He said, three days I'll be dead. And in the Jewish world, three days was significant. After three days, your soul left your body. You were dead, dead, dead. This ain't no near-death experience, although I love heaven is for real. He was as dead as you can get. But then all of a sudden, he's walking around again. Then all of a sudden, he's joking with his friends, having fish and chips for breakfast. All of a sudden, he's saying more red-letter words. All of a sudden, the man who was dead is now alive again. And he had something to say about death on the other side of it. You've got nothing to fear. This thing you're all worried about, this thing you run from, this thing you spend so much money trying to avoid, don't worry about it. It's a gate. It's a passageway. It's an opportunity. Don't worry, don't fret, don't fear, he says. In fact, it's just a sleep, a temporary sleep that some of, some of you could really use. He took Satan's trump card. He took his best shot. He took his best pitch, and he destroyed it. Think about it, We're still scared of death today. At lunch today, you're probably not going to go and have a conversation about death. We don't know it. It's the great unknown. It's the great fear that we all have. And yet we all know it's coming. It's so odd we wouldn't talk about something that is so certain. Now we can talk about it. And we can talk about it very differently than everybody else talks about it. And we can talk about it using red letter words. Because those words change our understanding of death. Now call me crazy. But if there's a man who's taken the one thing that has haunted, scared, troubled, and disturbed people since the beginning of time. If there's a man who's taken death on and defeated it. I'm going to listen to that man. His words have more weight than your words. His words have more weight than the 100 million English words. His words have more weight than the 130 million books that are out there. His words have more weight than all the tweets combined. His words matter. Because in this hand, he has evil, and in this hand, he has death. So I want to listen to what comes out of his mouth. I hope that you will as well. Words, words, words. Our lives, our days, our inboxes, our Twitter feeds, they are inundated with words. But words that don't really matter. Words that are easily forgotten, easily discarded, and easily erased. And that's where we're gonna spend the next few months, not years, Ryan, in the words in red. And we're excited about this because we believe that there is something about those words that, that the rest of the world needs and wants to hear. And so we've made some cards. John made this incredible video for us as well as some of these cards. The ushers will be passing them out to you as you leave. These are more or less invitation cards. Put these out everywhere you go this next week. The grocery store, hand them out. At your workplace, hand them out. To your neighbors, hand them out. Put them on the pillow of your teen. Here you go. But it gives a little teaser for the words of Jesus. It has a map to the church. So you can easily talk about where it is. We believe this is a very unique opportunity for us as a church to give and to share and to invite. Invite people to hear words they've maybe never heard before. Invite people to hear words that can change their life now and for all of eternity. Invite people into the red letters of Jesus. So grab one of these on your way out. Also, grab a, uh, a magnet on your way out for the power of one. These are important things that we're committed to. Remind you to give your dollars so we can bless another family this week as you're leaving this place. Thank you for being here. Let me pray for you as we end and ask God to infuse us with his words that we'll be able to share them with others. Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, we love you. We thank you. We need you. We just ask that your words will resonate deep in our hearts this week, God. 
Help us to focus on and spend time in your words because your words are life. They will never pass away. They can change us from the inside out. Help us to commit for the first time or to recommit ourselves to your words. And then, God, would we share your words this week? We can say a lot of things this week. We can tweet and Twitter and post and talk a lot. But maybe this week we should share the red letter words with somebody. Would you help us to believe in their power and would you give us the courage to speak them? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, church. Have an amazing week. We'll see you next time.